It is great to be here this morning. It really is. And I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad for those of you who are joining us online. Um, it, it's just so good to, to be able to gather together and to sing some of these songs that, that just express such great truth and, uh, and depth, uh, especially at this time, you know, just, just to be able to, there's something about getting together and singing um, some of these truths, and uh, it's it just um, very encouraging, very encouraging. So I hope you're encouraged this morning. I'm, I'm Dallas, one of the pastors on staff here, and uh, um, just privileged to be able to, to speak this morning. Once upon a time, nothing like a good story, isn't there? And uh, you know what? We probably probably need a good story right about now. Um, a familiar story. Let's hear a story once upon a time. This, uh, you know, how stories begin is so important. Once upon a time, there lived a beautiful young girl named Cinderella. And she was very unhappy because she lived with her evil stepmother and, and her horrible, ugly stepsisters. And so she decided to go live with her granny instead. And as she left, she grabbed her scarlet cloak and a small basket of food. And Cinderella decided to take the shortcut through the forest to get to her granny's cottage. And as she walked along the path, she suddenly came upon a strange, hairy-looking man with very large ears, eyes, and teeth. Good morning, said the strange, hairy man. Hi, said Cinderella. The hairy man asked her where she was going, and Cinderella explained that she was off to stay with her granny. What have you got in your basket, he said. Oh, just some food for my gran, replied Cinderella. The hairy man peered into the basket. Hmm, he said, lamb chops, roast beef, French bread. He shook his head. Your poor old gran won't be able to eat this, not with her false teeth. I'll tell you what, how about I swap your basket for something more suitable for your gran? And with that, he held out his hand full of beans. Beans, questioned Cinderella. Oh, they're not just any beans. They are, are, are full of protein, you know, said the hairy man, and they're really, they're, they're really easy to eat. Well, I, I suppose so, said Cinderella, as she swapped her basket for a handful of beans. And waving goodbye, Cinderella set off along the forest path once more. As she walked towards her grand's cottage, Cinderella noticed that on the ground there were several slices of bread. They made a trail along the forest path. She stopped and picked up the bread, and being surprised to find the pieces were quite fresh. Cool, said Cinderella. Now Granny can have beans on toast. Cinderella eventually arrived at Granny's cottage. Her grand's cottage was, was quite unusual. And so she knocked on the gingerbread door and the entire cottage fell down. 
But she remembered that the three little pigs on the other side of the forest had just put up three brand new houses, so she decided to venture over there. And on her way to the pigs, she came across this huge tower, which she decided to climb to the top where she got stuck. And she was there for so long that her hair grew really long. The end. Isn't that a great story? You like, you like that? You, you want a second story? Can I keep going here? Am I on a roll? No? Okay. We all love a great story, don't we? I mean, it, it, it's, it's great to hear. But it needs to make sense. Really, doesn't it? It needs to make sense. You know, my, my story had elements of a good story. It, well, it had a good beginning, you know, we, we all had hopes of, you know, uh, uh, once upon a time, that sets up for a good story. There were problems along the way. That makes a good story if there's some problems that, that need to be overcome and solved. And, and, and the other thing, you know what, I, that's probably about it for the, my story. It, it didn't really resolve anything. It didn't end up anywhere. And you know what, most of us don't like stories that are confused and really don't go anywhere, do we? I mean, I certainly don't. And why is that? Why don't we like that? Why, do we, why would we not spend money to go see a story that doesn't go anywhere and doesn't mean anything and is confusing? Because stories are one of the ways we actually make sense of our world. And if a story doesn't make sense, then it's not helpful. It doesn't do that. We're in this series called a True Story. And if a story corresponds to reality, if it makes sense in our world, we call it true. There are many stories in our world, many good stories in our world that claim to be true. And as, as Pastor Darcy explained last week, the dominant story that people believe best explains our lives is actually called a worldview. And a good worldview has the same elements of a good story. About the only good thing with my story that I started out with was the beginning. <laughs> but how stories begin are so important. One, one of the most prominent stories, one of the most prominent worldviews in today's world is, is called naturalism. Uh, or you can call it materialism or matterism. Um, this story says that that matter is all that exists. Matter itself is eternal. In the beginning, the story starts out. In the beginning, there were particles. That's how this story starts out. In the beginning, there were particles. It's, it's a story, it's the story that most atheists, skeptics, humanists, Marxists believe is true. Many people in our world today believe this is true. Many intelligent people believe this is true. 
And this morning, I just want to encourage us to keep asking the question about it. Keep inquiring about it. Keep going deeper and find out where the story goes and see if it makes sense. Pastor Darcy last week pointed out that, that science does seem to, to point to a beginning of matter, a beginning to matter. Science is saying that matter isn't eternal. And, you know, even if we set aside what I would consider that big question, that huge question that needs an answer, just set that aside. If we set that aside and think about matter being all that there is, where does that leave us in the story? Where does that leave you in the story? Where does that leave me in the story? Think it through to its conclusion. Where does the story go? What purpose does it have? One of the more colorful advocates of this, this story, of this worldview, is a, a brilliant man by the name of uh, Richard Dawkins, evolutionary biologist. And in his book, River of Eden, he says this. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Whew, isn't that encouraging? That's the naturalist story, part of it. The Darwinian evolutionary story actually leads us to this place. And when, when pressed, uh, Richard Dawkins uh, does give a complex and complicated explanation of how he prevents himself from descending into utter futility. But all of us need to decide what to do with this story. And as I said, many people believe this story. Many intelligent people believe this story. There are reasons to look at this story. There are reasons to consider it. But my challenge is, where does it leave you? And where is it going? To me, if matter is all there is and there's no greater purpose for life, I'm not just depressed. I'm, I'm in utter despair and hopelessness. What am I doing? What does this life even mean? The story actually doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't come to a, a conclusion that, that makes sense to me. And when we apply this story to the, the current situation in our world, I have to ask, why, so, why try so hard to save humanity? Why try so hard to save the human race? In the end, what does it really matter? If matter is all there is, a hundred years from now, I, 
I'm not going to remember what happened today. I'm not going to remember this moment because I'm not going to exist. A thousand years from now, no one, if, if there's still people here, no one's going to remember me. And what would it matter if they did remember me? And, and that's where I go with this story. And if people who hold to this story, I think, were brutally honest and took it to that conclusion, all you're really left with is this, is this sense of deep futility. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm venturing on some huge areas, some huge topics, and we're just kind of skimming on the surface here this morning. But there's another prominent story. There's another prominent worldview in today's world, and it's, it's called pantheism or monism. And the second story in, in some ways seems like the exact opposite of the first because it starts, this story starts off with, in the beginning, mind. In the beginning, there's this mind that is called God. God in this story is in everything because he is everything. It is the only thing including us. And this story has, has been around for a very long time. In fact, this is the story of Hinduism and, and other Eastern religions. But today, in, in, in our world, it shows up in, in many different ways. Even environmentalism, it, it shows up sometimes when it deifies nature. God is in nature. God is nature. Those are, are views that flow from this, this story of monism. And again, many people around the world believe this story. And on the surface, it, it does make sense and it does have merit. Otherwise, people wouldn't believe it. But where does it go? Dig a little deeper. Where does it begin to draw the conclusion in the story? Um, certainly the story of monism has better appeal in some ways than the futility of materialism because it, it makes us humans feel, uh, I think, a, a little bit important anyway. A, a modern New Age version of this view is the book The Secret, that had come out a couple years ago, and this statement um, from The Secret gives us insight into this story. It says this, you are God in a physical body. You are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are a cosmic being. You are all power. You are all wisdom. You are all intelligent. You are perfection. You are magnificence. You are the creator, and you are creating the creation of you on this planet. Now, on the surface, that certainly looks appealing, definitely more appealing than naturalism. 
And it also has this appearance that, that it's, it's a little broader than the narrow views of some other religions. That many roads lead to divinity. There's an openness in this story that, that doesn't come across in, in some of the other stories. However, if this is the true story, if this is true story, then any other story that doesn't align with it, doesn't agree with it, is not true. And so the stories that talk about Jesus, the stories that talk about Muhammad, the stories that talk about Moses are not true if God is all and we are all God. So in the end, it's actually just as narrow as any other story. The idea of monism, the idea of oneness in Hinduism, when you think about it, it really strips away any sense of individuality. The only real thing is God. Everything is equally God. So any sense of distinguish, uh, any, any sense of distinction is really just an illusion. What brings us uh, distinction, what brings us uniqueness, if we feel unique, your feeling is actually just an illusion if, if you really dig under the surface of this story. The sense of self ends up being nothing. And it's not, in that sense, not much different than naturalism. The modern Western take on, on, on it that individuals are not nothing. They are, in fact, everything. As, this, this, as we read that, that quote from The Secret. So there's, and really the, the advantage of this is there, there's no one looking over your shoulder. There's no one above you. There's no one to hold you accountable because you're on top. You're God. But again, if you just dig a little deeper under the surface of that story, there is a downside if you're God, if you're on top, that there's no one above you that you can appeal to when tragedy happens. And again, to, to me, as you look at this story, this is where this story begins to unravel as as long as other people get cancer, as long as, as China and Italy uh, are dealing with the pandemic and not me, then being God works for me. But as soon as something happens to me or somebody I love that I can't control, to me it's in my face that, that I'm not God and this story begins to Unravel. The other thing underneath the surface of the story is really saying there is, there is nothing wrong with the world. It, it just is. That we all get what we deserve, but this story really struggles to explain evil. And in the East, they attempt to explain it through, through karma that, that needs to be linked with, with reincarnation. 
But in the West, uh, there's, there's nothing really you can do about evil, just accept it. And if you get sick or, or something happens, really it's, it's, it's nobody's fault, it's your fault. All of us need to decide what to do with this story. And again, on the surface, it looks, it looks right, it looks true. But the challenge is dig underneath the surface. And to me, you know what? There sure seems to be a lot wrong in the world. <laughs> and if there's something wrong in the world, that means there's, there's opportunity for right in the world to exist. There has to be a better story. There has to be a better story. Now, if I were to end right now, that would be a pretty depressing morning, wouldn't it? But there is another story. The, the, the other story that comes along is the Christian story. Another major story in our world today is the Christian story. And monism says that there's, there's something behind it all. Naturalism or materialism says there is no one or no thing behind it all. But the Christian story comes along and says there is someone behind it all. As Pastor Darcy reminded us last week, the Christian story starts out with, with the first few words in the Bible. And, and it, as we're familiar with it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A short sentence, but a sentence that, that reveals a lot about the story that's to come. The beginning of the story, God, in the beginning, God created matter. God created the heavens and the earth. God and matter exist in this story. They are real, but they're not the same. And there's so many parts of the story that flow from this one statement. I, I like how Gregory Kukul in his book, The Story of Reality, kind of lays this out. And we're just going to quickly walk through it here. The Christian story, a number, number of ideas and, and, and points coming out of the story. The Christian story begins with a person, not a thing. He is not a force. He is not an energy. He is personal. He is a person. He is conscious of himself, and he's able to think and act on those thoughts. He's got this, this, the characteristics of personality of a person. This, this story says that you and I are created in his image. And so you can kind of flip that around and say, well, if we're, if we're part of his image, then how we relate what we do, how we exist is a reflection, is an image of him. So we look at ourselves and, and we can relate to one another. So that means that God is able to relate to us and we to him. He can be known just like we can know one another. The characteristics, the persona, personal characteristics that you and I have are a reflection of who God is. He is a person. The Christian story continues, it, it, it is really, it's all about God. It's all about him. Um, the story 
isn't actually about you and me. It starts out with this central character, in the beginning God. It introduces the central character of the story. And you know what? It carries all the way through. God is the central figure in this story, the central character. And you know, that's a little hard to, to hear, actually. Because what about us? What about me? What value do I have then in the story? And most of us, I'm sure, have, have asked this question, how can God let this happen to me? And when we see our si- ourselves as the center of the story, when, when things go wrong, we get caught off guard. Because we're expecting something different because we see ourselves as the center of the story, but we're not the center of the story. God's the center of the story. Have you ever said, um, you know, if I were God, I would whatever. <laughs> I, I'm sure all of us have been there. You know, if I were God, I, I would alleviate pain, suffering, especially if it's happening to me. We'd probably write a different story if, if we were God. But the very fact that the story is the way it is points to the fact that, that we didn't write it. We'd write a different story. In fact, many people who have believed in God actually um, trust in him have experienced uh, even more suffering, incredible suffering and distress. But ultimately, the story is not about us. It's a, and it's not about us and his plan for our lives. It's about him and his plan and how we fit into his plan how we fit into his story. In the Christian story, everything belongs to God. And the basic idea is that if you make something, it's yours, right? If, if you design something, there, there is a sense of, of ownership, it's, it's yours. If somebody takes away what is yours, what do we call it? It's stealing. And so if God made everything as the Christian story begins, then everything belongs to him. And as, as uh, Gregory Kukul says again, when we claim absolute ownership over anything without understanding that God holds the ultimate title it's very much like stealing. You and I actually belong to God. And you know what? That too makes us uncomfortable. <laughs> if God is God as this story reveals him to be, and he does own everything, including us, and he is the, the, the landlord who holds the title, or he's the owner who, who holds the title, and, and we're just tenants. Then that leaves me as not free to do as I wish with my body. It leaves me as not free to do as I wish with anything that is in my possession, because I am not owner. 
I'm just a tenant. However, and you say, well, that doesn't leave us with very much value. But again, as you continue the story, you see that, that God doesn't own us just as mere objects, but he, he values us incredibly. And as the story continues, the value that he places on his creation and especially upon us slowly is revealed and deepens. In the Christian story, again, God is distinct from the rest of creation. He is, he is beyond us and he is beyond our world. James Sire, in his book, Universe Next Door, he says this, look at a stone. God is not it. God is beyond it. Look at man. God is not he. God is beyond him. Look at a stone. God is present. Look at a man. God is present. God is everywhere. His presence is everywhere, but he is not everything. In the story, as it unfolds in Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 3 it says, Jesus sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. He is intricately involved and present in his creation but he is not creation. He is separate from. And as he created creation, he stated again and again, and even in the first chapter of the story, he stated again and again, it is good. It is good. And later on in the story, we see that, that God reveals himself as a father and, and um you know what? His wife is not Mother Nature. <laughs> just, just to be clear, you know that nature is a part of his creation. It's part of what he created. And we care and we value nature because we respect the person who made it. And what does it mean to care for the environment? Well, nature is not deified. There's only one God in the Christian story. There's only one God in the Christian story. But we value nature because we respect the person who made it. The last uh, truth that kind of comes out in the Christian story as it revealed, we'll look at this morning, is the Christian story has a theme, an overarching theme, a huge theme, and the theme is God is authority over all he has made. He's the authority. The grand theme is that there is a king and he is ruling over his kingdom. And that's the song we ended with, uh, that his kingdom would come. He is a king. He has a kingdom. And ultimately, nothing is beyond God's interest, his control, or his authority. But the obvious question that comes out of that is, well, why are things in such a mess? Why are things in such a mess? If God's in charge, if God's ultimately in charge, then why is everything in such a mess? And the theme 
And the answer to this question becomes more obvious again later in the story. But as the story begins, God did not create the world as it is in such a mess. He created as good. And as you begin to read the story, you see God declare everything that he created as good. The world has not always been broken. In Isaiah chapter 45, again later on in the story, it says, For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and earth, and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. I, the Lord, speak only what is true and declare only what is right. That's a powerful statement by a powerful being over his creation. God created the universe with order and regularity. Creation was good. But as Francis Schaeffer, uh, theologian, labels it, he says creation is an open system. It's not a closed mechanism. It's not programmed to function precisely in a certain way. It's an open system. And God is constantly and intimately involved in the ongoing operation of the universe as are we as humans. And there comes this significant character into the story that begins to change things. And as the story unfolds, and we'll continue the story next week, on how humanity brought brokenness into this world. But God's, the, the Christian story Central character is God. He's, crea- he's creator, he's separate from his creation, and he says what he has created is good. And the story says in Hebrews chapter 11, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. The Christian story says there is someone to believe in. There is someone to believe in, and he is good, and he can be found if we seek him. And as you, you sit here this morning, and you're watching online, maybe you're here and, and you're really wrestling with some of these stories. And there are a lot of good stories, and on the surface, a lot of those stories may make sense. My challenge to you is which of these stories really, when you dig down, ring true? Which of these stories, when you, when you take it to the end, when you continue it along the path that it seems to start, rings true to the reality of what you see around you and what you experience in life? Which of these stories make sense to how the world really works and again, we just skimmed over some really large topics here. And, and in the weeks to come, the story, the Christian story, it continues. And it will speak to our world. We'll see how it continues to speak to our world, even in the midst of chaos. 
But my challenge to you is just take a step back. And wherever you're at, if you're exploring, look at what you believe. Look at the story you have read and think is true. And just ask, continue to ask the question. Continue to dig deep until you find all the, as many answers that make sense to the reality of the world around you. Many of us here this morning, I, I would accept that you, you believe in the Christian story. And my question to you is this, is have you mixed elements of other stories into the one that you say you believe? Have you done what I did at the beginning and with the story I started out with and, and mixed in other elements from other stories into the story you believe? You say, you say that you don't believe in, in naturalism, in materialism, but does your life reflect that? Do the decisions, decisions you make on a daily basis reveal your belief in an eternal personal being who made you and everything else for his purpose, for his plan. You say you, you don't believe in monism, but, but does your life reflect that? Do your reactions um, to what happens in the world around you reflect a trust in yourself or does it reflect a trust in the one God? Does your life and decisions acknowledge that there is only one God who created you? That he actually has ownership and that he's present and he's involved in his purposes in the world and he's involved with you. And do you submit to that purpose? Do you yield to that purpose? Do you surrender to that purpose on a continuing basis? Is there a mixture? Have you added elements of other stories into your story? Many years ago, I opened my heart and mind up to the Christian story of the world. And I've had huge questions along the way. I continue to have huge questions. At times, I've had incredible doubts. But I keep coming back to the story of an eternal divine being who created the world. And I have discovered, as, as many have, that the story reveals a God, as the story continues, the story reveals a God who loves his creation. He calls it, he called it good, and he continues to love it to this day. He, he has ownership of it. But even as, as, a, as a child is precious to their parents, we as humans are precious to God like that. He doesn't just own us as objects, but he sees us in that, in that respect that he has such love and value placed upon us as his people. He loves us. And this story is not just a story to read, it's a story to experience. It's someone to experience. And 
That's experiencing his incredible love for each and every one of us. And the story continues, and as it does, that the, the depth of, of his heart, the depths of his love for each and every one of us just goes on and on and on. We're going to continue on that story in the weeks to come. Can I just ask you to stand, and I'm going to close with just one, one verse from, from Scripture that really puts an exclamation point within this story. And out of Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear. The Christian story reveals a God who was there at the beginning and he created us. He created everything around us for his purpose, for his pleasure. But he's not far off. He is involved. He is there. He is here. He is everywhere. He's here this morning. And he offers himself as a place of refuge. He offers himself as a person of strength to come alongside. And he's always ready to help in times of trouble. If we seek him, he says, he will be found. He will be found. He will be found. So we do not have to fear. Jesus, I thank you that your presence is here among us. Lord, I thank you that even though there's chaos in the world, that your presence is here, is with us. And Lord, we can call upon you and you have promised that you would be with us. You had promised that you will help us in times of trouble. And we can find in you that place of refuge, that place of strength. And Lord, I pray for my, my friends this morning. Lord, I pray for my friends as we leave this place, as we, as we venture out and whatever this week holds in front of us, Lord, that we would remember that the truth of your, your story that is revealed in your word, Lord, begins with you, that you're there. You're there. And Lord, we don't have to fear because where your presence is, your peace is. And Lord, I pray that it's not just a story to be read, but it's a story to experience. And Lord, that, that each person in the sound of my voice this morning would experience, would experience your presence this week and the peace and strength that comes from your presence with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for your love and your presence with us. In your name, amen, amen.